Hi, everyone. Welcome back to A Call to Lead. Today's episode features Dr. Jill Biden. Jill is a former second lady of the United States, but in this episode, she'll tell you why she doesn't necessarily love that title and instead prefers the title Captain of the Vice Squad. Speaking of titles, Jill has a lot of them. Educator, leader, mother, wife, and now author, as she just released her memoir last week. It's called Where the Light Enters, Building a Family and Discovering Myself. It was a great conversation. She shared many stories across her journey from educating and inspiring, and of course, giving us an inside perspective from her time in the White House and the unique relationship between her husband, Joe Biden, and President Obama, as well as many other tales from the incredible perch and vantage point from which she participated in the unfolding of history. I really enjoyed my time with her. She spent time in our office in Philadelphia a couple months ago, well before her husband announced his candidacy for presidency. I hope you'll enjoy it. And please, as always, continue to send me your comments and your ratings. I so appreciate it. You're listening to A Call to Lead, a different kind of leadership podcast brought to you by SAP, the world's largest provider of enterprise application software. SAP engineers solutions to help companies become best-run businesses by transforming industries, growing economies, lifting up societies, and sustaining our environment. Because it's the best-run businesses that make the world run better. And now, your host, Jennifer Morgan. How's everyone doing? So, well, we have a great way to get the week kicked off. And I'm, I'm just thrilled to have our esteemed guest with us today. And I don't think she needs any introduction, but we're looking forward to a great conversation. Join me in giving a warm welcome to Dr. Jill Biden. It's been almost two years that you're back to your private life. Yes. You've had, you know, obviously two years to kind of reflect. Talk to us a little bit about what those two years have been like for you. Well, uh, you know, we didn't, uh, I mean, it's been incredible trying to do all the things that you just take for granted. Getting into a car and, you know, when I drove a car in 2008, the last time I drove a car, like 10 years ago, like we put the key in the ignition. Well, you know, you didn't do that anymore. And I had been sitting in the back seat for like nine years. It took me a long time to sort of get in the front seat again. And uh, so the things that you, they're just simple things, but they're things that, um, you know, I just, we had to get used to. So like, I'm sure uh, you think nothing of calling an Uber. Well, the first time I had to call an Uber, actually it's really a funny story, but um, we had rented a house in um, McLean in Northern Virginia because that's where I teach now. So uh, I had, this was the first time I was gonna get into a, you know, an Uber and I was like scared to death, like, oh my God, I'm gonna get into this strange car with a strange person. And somebody said, yes, but you do that in a taxi all the time, which, you know, didn't hit my head. But um, so we had rented this house. So I opened the door to get the Uber. And honest to God, there was a black snake hanging down from the door, from the top of the door. So I screamed as loud as I could and I slammed the door. But then the Uber's out there waiting for me in the driveway. So I had to go out the side door and say to the guy, hey, there's a snake hanging down my door. And, and I was like shaking. And um, 
So he said, he got out of the car and he said, yes, there is a snake hanging down out of your door. And anyway, I got the suitcase, got in the car. But um, that was my first Uber experience. <laughs> and then things like Venmo, which I had never even heard of. Uh, running by myself, I, you know, I'm a runner, and I used to run with four Secret Service people, you know, men or women, and uh, in front of me and in back of me. And uh, so running by myself, I kept like looking around, like, where are they? Where are they? And uh, before I could run in anywhere I wanted, you know, even in the dangerous places, you know, because I had these guys with me. And, um, but then uh, all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I better not go down that trail. You know, it was totally different, right, so, right. yeah. So, you've been in the front seat in a different way in that you you are one of the, you know, partners of a, I don't like the term second lady. I hate that. I mean, like, right? It's like it's second so, lady. Yeah, it's so antiquated. Yeah. So, I like to say that I'm captain of the vice team. I so. like that. <laughs> I like that. Okay, so while you were captain of the vice team, you also ha ha continued working in your own career. You've always obviously had a long career, but what was that like? I mean, that's like double duty. That, well, you know, it was a choice that I made, and I said to Joe when we were elected, I said, you know what, Joe? I've got to keep teaching. I mean, I, I can't live your life. And he said, uh, okay, I think you should. I think you should. And I, we talked to the Obamas, and they said, yeah. Why not? So just a couple days after we were sworn in, I was at my community college. I started, I was teaching at a community college in Delaware before that. And um, so I just, you know, they didn't put my name on the class roster or anything, so the students didn't know that I was going to be their instructor. <laughs> Which I know sounds funny and you probably think, oh my God, they probably thought, oh, I'm gonna be in the class with the second lady. Well, I have to tell you, a lot of them did not know. Really. And so I have to tell you a funny story. It was May, May. And uh, I had been teaching the whole time. And a girl came in for her, a woman came in for her conference. And she said, Dr. B, last night I saw you on the TV with Michelle Obama. <laughs> and I said, yes. And she said, um, and I said to my mom, 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 come here. That's my English teacher. And the mother said, that is not your English teacher. That's the second lady of the United States. So anyway, she was really surprised. And even, um, you know, and I know, because I had Secret Service with me, but if you know anything about community colleges, average age is 28. So uh, they carry, um, you know, they're older, so they fit right in. They, I asked them to dress down, not the suits and the sunglasses. And uh, so they had their backpacks, like all the students, all, only theirs had, um, you know, guns in them, not, <laughs> not books. And uh, so they would sit outside of my classroom and act really, like, very cool, like, you know, nothing was going on, but they were watching every single thing. So, uh, anyway, it was a unique experience. I think I'm the first second lady to have a job and be second lady, but uh, I couldn't give up my career. I just could not. I love teaching. Um, I always say teaching is, you know, not what I do. It's who I am, and uh, so I'm still teaching to this day. I was up at 
early this morning uh, printing off research papers and I'm grading and I'm, you know, so that's my life. Anyway, oh, well, thank you. And, and, and you were known to always, in many pictures, you'd have like a stack of papers in always. your hands. So you were always yes. kind of working yep. and balancing. So there's a lot of folks in the audience who, um, whether they're mothers or fathers or partners, who probably would love to hear a little bit more. And we talked about this a little earlier, that people are naturally curious, you know, especially with women, about how do you balance it all? And I'm sure you got that question a lot. How do you balance it all? Is there such a thing as balance? No, I, I mean, there's, you try, but there really isn't. I mean, you just, uh, I always say it's, you know, it's hard to just keep everything organized and um, prioritize, but uh, it was interesting. You know, just last week, I have a woman in my class, and she's from Afghanistan. I have a lot of, actually, students in my community college, because it's so close to Washington, that are from, I think, 90 countries. And this woman actually worked, uh, lived in Afghanistan, and she was an, inter an interpreter for our uh, military forces. But she had to keep it really quiet or else they would have killed her family if they had found out. So uh, she came to the United States uh, recently, maybe two, three years ago, and um, she was here with her husband and her two children. And she said to me, she said to me, Dr. B, can I ask you something? How do you do it all? Because I need help figuring out how to do it all. And I thought, oh my God, Noria, you have lived in this uh, dangerous situation. You've gotten your family here to the United States. You are now pregnant and, um, and you're coming to school and you're asking me how I do it all? So anyway, I started to talk to her about finding time for herself and there's a, a little addendum to this story because uh, last Thursday, their research, or was it Tuesday? Tuesday, the research papers were due. And uh, so that morning, I get a, a text from her, Dr. B, I'm on the way to the hospital. I can't turn in my research paper today. And I wrote back, excuses, excuses. <laughs> well, you have a unique vantage point because you, uh, you've been, you know, you obviously had an incredible career. You're in the education field, and you have a lot of experience on the policy issue. And our, in our country right now, there's so many discussions around education, and there's a lot of different um, topics within, you know, when people speak about education in terms of what do we need to focus on, what are the priorities. I would be interested in your vantage point because you see it from a few different lenses. What do you feel like are the areas that we as a nation need to focus on when it comes to education? Well, I think in our administration, you know, we, we really pushed STEM education and, and technology. And, um, and gosh, I mean, nobody knows this better than you do. And, uh, and so now, I, I mean, I've always used it in some way in my classroom. And I think, you know, my students love the technology, and uh, recently we did uh, virtual reality, and I got Google Glasses. I ordered Google Glasses for all the students, and um, we did a virtual reality New York Times uh, piece. We, I took them into three war zones, and uh, then they wrote about it, which was really interesting uh, to hear their perspective, because I have to tell you, a lot of them are from war zones and have actually seen what uh, we were talking about 
conflict and, and the effect on families. And I have several students from uh, Congo, Sierra Leone, um, you know, Ukraine, I mean, a lot of different countries. So uh, I think, you know, technology is where we're going. And so, uh, you know, that's, look at your kids. I mean, you know yourselves. I mean, our kids know how to use computers. If my computer's broken, broken, I ask my grandson, how do I fix this? You know, what do I do? And he's 14. So, um, so I think that's the way we're going. Yeah, STEM is definitely yeah. a big focus for us too and really helping, you know, communities and um, boys and girls, to your point, who are, I mean, now it's not just about college or high school even, it's how do you start to instill the, the teaching and the confidence sure. in and grade I, yeah. school? Well, I, uh, that's actually a, a good point because I say, it's more the most important thing that I can teach students, I think, is confidence. Confidence that they can do what they strive to do. And it doesn't, you know, it's, I teach writing, and uh, that's my field. I'm an English teacher. But um, that, you know, the topic sentence and the thesis statement, I mean, yes, they have to know that. But once they get the confidence to feel like they can do it, that they can do anything, I mean, that's my most important role, I feel, as a teacher, is to instill confidence in my students. That's great. I couldn't agree more with that. So I want to talk a little bit about leadership, because you have a lot of experience being a leader, and you've... That's been another way of saying you're old. <laughs> Wisdom. Wisdom. <laughs> Wisdom. Okay, that's another euphemism. Okay. <laughs> But you've had your own experience being a leader, but you've been around and, and experienced a lot of different leaders. I'd love to hear a little bit from you when you think about leadership today. What are, and, and leadership is, takes a lot of different forms now, right? It's, it's very different. We were talking earlier about there were probably a, a smaller set of leadership profiles that people tended to understand and resonate or even existed, especially in corporate America. And now that's really has changed and there's a lot of different styles of leadership. What were, you know, some of the experiences whether you as a leader found to be the most impactful in terms of driving followership or an outcome or maybe who were some of the examples of leaders that um, that you learned from in watching? Well, I always think that um, to be a good leader, you have to be a good listener. Uh, I think that's a really important part of it. And um, you have to realize, I mean, I was a teacher until I became second lady, so all of a sudden I got an entire staff, and I had to learn how to manage staff, manage people, um, and that was a whole new experience for me. But uh, And I sort of treat my staff, I mean, because I had been staff for so long, I remembered the things I did not like. You know, people who spoke down to me, people who uh, told me this is what you have to do in your classroom when they had never even been in a classroom, had never been a teacher, and did things and told me to do things that made no sense to me. So I think to be a good listener, you have to, I mean, leader, you have to, you have to listen. You have to be a really good listener and hear what people are saying to you and be able to accept it and, and do better. Do you believe... Um the best leaders have to also continue to be lifelong learners, the best students? Oh, of course. I mean, um, absolutely. And that's one of the things that 
I love most about teachers, other teachers, is that of all the people who I've met, um, groups of people, I think teachers are really the best example of lifelong learners because they're constantly in their fields learning new things, researching, listening to other people, um, going to workshops. You know, I don't know what it's like in the corporate environment because I, I haven't worked there. But uh, that's my, been my experience that teachers are constantly open to, to new ideas and ways of learning and um, learning new ideas. It's essential. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's, it's, it's also how you, how you show that you understand what's happening, right? Because as a leader, understanding that you understand the reality of what's happening on the ground helps you be a better leader, a more, a more real leader, and have that context. Uh -huh. So you've traveled the world. You've met with a lot of different leaders, and sometimes leaders have titles, and sometimes they don't. You told the story just a couple minutes ago about the woman in your class, and you, to me, that's, that's leadership, right? Who were some of us, throughout your travels, we'd love to hear a couple stories about various people, whether they had a title or not, but who were leaders who just really stuck out to you through your time in the White House, or as part of, as part of your role as captain. Okay, so... Uh well, you know, I work a lot with the military, and um, Prince Harry is a really cool leader. I'm telling you, I've seen him at the Invictus Games and, and working with the military, and they truly have so much respect for him because he's, he's lived their lives, he's walked in their shoes, and um, he has a really nice rapport with people in the military, so I respect him for that. Um, I met uh, a doctor in the Congo, Dr. McQuege. Uh, you'll hear about him because he just won the Nobel Peace Prize. And I went to Congo and I visited his hospital. And he, this is a hospital where um, women, all the women and, and children in the hospital have suffered from sexual violence. And so he, um, I hate to, he makes them better. I hate to use the word repairs, but he physically repairs these women and children. And um, he took me through his hospital and he told me, you know, they, um, they tried to kill his family. They killed his driver. He had to get his family out to Switzerland, but he continued on doing what he was doing. And um, his story was so, actually, so uplifting. Um, because of what he was doing to change lives for others. And he was one of Times 100 People of the Year, and I wrote his, uh, in, his bio for him. And then he just invited me to go to, to Oslo um, for when he gets the uh, Nobel Peace Prize. Um, unfortunately, I, I can't go because I have to teach. But, um, <laughs> but anyway... Uh, He's, he's somebody that I considered a leader. Um, oh, gosh, I love the guy um, who runs Chibani. That, you know what? You they're, should have they're one him. Of our, they're one of our newest customers. Oh, my gosh, good. Yeah. Because yes. guess what? You should have him here and sit in this seat. He's incredible what he does to help refugees. You would love him. You know, I've met so many women. I met a woman in Guatemala and uh, her family was so poor, and culturally, the men did not want the, uh, their wives to work. And she started this um, 
bracelet making. And so her husband was really against it. No, no, you know, my wife is not going to work. But then she started bringing in so much money. And she brought the other women in the village together. And then they started making bracelets. And then she was doing so well, guess what he did? He came to help her in the business. <laughs> and um, in their little village, they were the only ones to have um, a bathroom. So like they were like, their social status went from here to here because they had a bathroom. But she was a leader, you know, because she saw a need for her community and she found out, she found a way to solve the problem, the problem of poverty and how to feed her kids. I mean, that's a true leader to me. You know, you don't have to be in government uh, to be a leader. Um, I just, I, I don't know, I've met incredible people, just so many incredible people who figure out how to make things work in their communities. And I think that's the important thing, not the... Yeah, not I the mean, title. Not the title, exactly, not the title. Well, on that note, you know, leadership happens, I believe, when great leadership happens when nobody's watching. And some of the examples you just shared with us were amazing, beautiful examples of leadership in action. And so while you are, you and your husband are obviously you know, very well known and have, have, have had esteemed positions and titles, um, I think what's really impressive um, about you all is what you do when nobody's watching. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you a story, and I haven't told you this, I didn't tell you this when we were pre preparing backstage, but um, my uh, colleague, Tom, was on a train uh, recently, and you and your husband were on the train traveling, and a young man came up and, to you and wanted to, to share his story about, I believe it was um, his father, um, or a son, I, I don't remember the story, but who had passed of cancer. And he asked if he could sit down, and, you know, folks came up to, and the Amtrak people came up to, don't bother them, and you all said, no, sit down. Tell me your story. And, you know, Tom was watching. And it was really amazing, because he, he heard the young man speak about his loss and what he went through, and explained the compassion and the perspective and kindness that you shared with him in that moment when nobody was watching. But you've also done that very publicly. It's probably a role you would never aspire to. Um, when your son, Bo, passed of cancer, you all immediately started the Biden Cancer, yes. um, right? Here in Philadelphia. Yeah. And you have been very, um, very outspoken and vocal in your own experience and in giving back to others, whether it be just through those conversations and or whether it be on a national stage. Talk to us a little bit about, um, that must be a very difficult thing to do while also being something that's gotta be gratifying to be able to, to share and help other families. So um, as many of you probably know, because uh, you know, we, share Philadelphia news, you probably saw it on the news that our son died in 2015 of brain cancer. And, um, you know, it took us a long time to sort of catch our breath and figure out, I bet most of you in this room have lost someone to cancer. How many of you have lost someone to cancer? Oh my gosh, almost everybody. So you know how hard it is. You know how hard it is every single day to get up and 
you know, put that one foot in front of the other. And um, so Joe and I, I mean, it wasn't something that we had looked to doing. I mean, and Joe was uh, given the moonshot. President Obama asked Joe to uh, be in charge of the moonshot to make a change in cancer, to bring uh, government agencies together, to all work together to, uh, to advance to make advances in cancer, in cancer research. And so after we were out of office, people kept coming to us and saying, you've got to continue this work. You have to continue this work. And uh, because we need to break down these silos. And there's so much information out there that people need to know about. And you need to bring people together so that we can, we can do more to help people. And so that's how we started with the Biden Cancer Initiative, because really what we found out was we really had to find purpose in our lives. And that is something that Bo would, I think, have wanted us to do. And so it is hard. I, I have to tell you, everywhere I go, I don't care whether I'm at an education conference or whether I'm talking to the military or women's groups, um, a lot of people come up to me and say, I just lost my son, I just lost my daughter, I just lost my mother. And they want reassurance, they want, they want hope. And I think there is hope, there is hope out there. But I have to tell you, at Thanksgiving, um, I texted a woman who was the wife of one of the four-star uh, generals in our administration. And her son died of a drug overdose. And um, I texted her and I said, how are you doing? How are you making out? And she said, Jill, I'm out there. And they've made, they found purpose in, her, in their lives. She and her husband go around and talk about um, dr you know, drugs and uh, what to do and, and um, you know, about the opioid crisis. And she said, but every day, she said, every day it is so hard to tell the story again and again and again. And she said, and most days I can do it, but there's just that one day I just can't. Or I burst into tears. And I find that myself. And so does Joe. I mean, we can you know, be brave and strong and be out there talking to people. Um, you know, last week I was down in uh, Texas talking to oncology nurses, but it's just that one little thing, that one little remembrance, that one little touch, question, smile, whatever it is, and you just burst into tears. I mean, you can't help it. And uh, so we're pushing forward, and I think we're making great progress. We have really incredible people that we've met along the ways, doctors, scientists, researchers. And it's true, if we can break down those silos so that people have access to information, because that's the key in finding out about trials. You all know this, because look how many of you raised your hands. So a lot of you have dealt with this, just like the Biden family. We're not unique, you know, but, um, so it's a, it's a hard thing, but when you see how you are able to help other people, it, it makes it all worth it because we know the pain. And it's that simple. Well, thank you for um, that conversation that my colleague was fortunate to witness because as you said, I'm sure that happens every day. 
Um, but it means so much, and that's leadership, so thank you. Thanks. Okay, on a much lighter note. So your husband and the president kind of had a bromance thing going on. <laughs> they still do. <laughs> yeah, Barack just uh, called Joe on his birthday, um, which was just uh, a couple days ago. And, and you and the, and the first lady obviously had a great chemistry. Yeah. And, and, and as couples, you had an incredible chemistry. How important was that relationship through, you know, I'm sure uh-huh. some tough times throughout those eight years? I think it was really important. Uh, we had a lot of fun together. Uh, we had a lot of respect for one another. Um, Michelle and I worked together on the joining forces, you know, our military initiative. And... Um, and so we spent a lot of time together. And the interesting thing is that our grandchildren are their children's ages. So, um, so Barack would be out there on the basketball uh, court. You know, when he was, um, he would help coach. And uh, I, it was so funny because there were more Secret Service in that gym than there were parents. I think, you know, <laughs> watching the game. But uh, anyway, the, it's a nice friendship. Um, they were incredibly kind and supportive during Bo's illness, and um, and they continue to be, you know, good friends. And let me ask you: I mean, how important is it to you that people in your government get along? You know, that the vice president and the president are in sync. And um, doesn't mean they have to always agree, and hopefully they don't, because then they can offer each other good ideas, and you know bounce ideas off one another. But um, you know the one thing I think that I've found uh, recently is that the American people want to see um, want to see that partnership, and I, I think that's I think it's really important. So if, if I take you back to that night in Grant Park um, so many years ago, um, there was, I'm sure that just, I can't even imagine um, the experience that that must have been for, for you um, personally as an American um, in taking that, that new helm and the hope that, that you had. When you think about our country today, obviously I, I travel a great deal and obviously you've traveled a lot and, and I do always come home to this country and I remain very grateful um, for the country that we live in, what gives you, what gives you the most hope now? Uh, what gives me hope is that um, I think that people, uh, I well, what gives me hope is that I think I see things starting to change. I see for the first time. Look at how many women ran for office. And we need so many more. We need so many more to get out there and run. And of those women who ran, look how many veterans ran for office. So that gives me hope, too. So I think um, things are changing slowly. And um, I think people are getting more involved. If they don't like what they see, you know, what's that quote? Um, mm, oh, I can't remember. Uh, what is the price you pay in politics for not getting involved and you're not being governed by people better than yourselves or something like that? I, I used to have it down, but, you know, that was my wisdom. It's 
Okay, so this is, I like to do a fun thing called the lightning round. Uh-huh. And so I'm just going to ask you a bunch of random questions and just, you know, give Not me... Not age or weight, right? What's that? No, <laughs> no, no. You're fabulous. It doesn't, oh, yeah. those, those, those doesn't matter. So I'm going to take you through just a fun lightning round to get to know you a little bit better. Okay. EQ or IQ, which is more important for a leader? Uh, both are important, but EQ is more important, I think. There's one place in the world that you would love to visit or go, where would it be? You can return there. It doesn't mean you, uh, you can have one place in the world that you just absolutely love or would like to go. Well, um, I think the Congo. As I mentioned before, I, it, it is so fascinating. And I, I forgot to tell, well, is, are these supposed to be like really fast answers? No, you can, you, oh. I'll give you permission. Okay, to, permission, okay. <laughs> okay, I see her leadership style. <laughs> She's gonna get, so um, anyway, uh, you know, when I was in the Congo, I went to visit child soldiers. They had a shelter there where they were trying to rehabilitate the, the kids who had fought in wars. And it was so cute that they brought out this little gaggle of boys, and um, one had a T-shirt on it and said, Philly. It was so cool. And um, so anyway, and they sang for me. And, um, and oh, what do you think? I asked my, my students this. So what do you think would be the one thing? I went to the nurse and I said, what do these kids come in with? What is the one thing that they come in with? What do you think? What, what illness to the nurse? Somebody? PTSD. That's a good one, but no, not PTSD, but that's a good guess. Malaria? No. Mm-mm. It's lice. lice. Oh my gosh! I don't know. She didn't go there. Um, <laughs> We're covering a lot of ground today. Yes. <laughs> um, no hernias, hernias, because these little boys had to carry these guns and ammunition. And sometimes they couldn't even pick up the guns, and they would have to tie the gun with a, a piece of string and pull it along the ground. That was interesting. That's what, I mean, that's something wow. I learned that like, truly was sort of sad, but fascinating. Like You wouldn't yes. think that, but that's what the nurse told me. Wow. Okay, I digress. No, Go that ahead. was a good answer. It was definitely <laughs> worth the, the, okay. the extra time. I'll never uh, forget the lice answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, most influential person in your life? Um, you know, I guess I have to say my mother. Um, of all the important people that I've met, um, my mother, uh, I think I always admired her. She was a very s- strong woman. Um, she had this inner strength. And recently, uh, I went through a really tough day, and I thought, you know, I, if I could only have her back, I mean, just for that one day, if I could only hear her voice. And so to get through that tough moment, I just closed my eyes and brought her voice back into my head because that could calm me down instantly. And, um, you know, there were five girls in my family. So, um, I mean, she had, you know, she had her work cut out for her. But we all, I mean, we just all, Totally adored her. That's awesome. I hope my kids say that about me someday. They wouldn't say it today. They wouldn't say, they wouldn't it, today. say it today. <laughs> no. Something happened you want to tell us about? <laughs> we would need another series for that. <laughs> Anybody have teenagers out there? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. 
Yeah. Okay. That's how I became a runner. I had my sneaks by the front door. Yeah. Okay, favorite TV series. Is there any like series that you're that that you're streaming that you're loving right now or any that well, you've watched? Like all of America, this is us. I mean, yeah. I love that show. Yeah. I love the mother, although that good-looking husband of hers. I mean, <laughs> wow. And I met him. Oh, I met him at the Super Bowl when the Eagles won. So, <laughs> so. any others? Uh, um, I w- somebody just told me about this Netflix. I watched a couple of it. The uh, Kaminsky Method. Anybody see that? Oh, about that. the acting teacher. I like okay. that. Oh, Will and Grace just yeah, makes love. me laugh love. out loud. I just love that. So, yeah. anyway, there's a lot of good ones out there. Yeah. There's a lot of good ones out there. How do you, I think I know the answer to this, but how do you de-stress, decompress running? I exercise, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I find that it gives me such balance in my life. I mean, I I actually made a calendar last night of when I could exercise this week because it just just clears my head. So, yeah, that's what, oh, and I, I started cycling too, so. Okay. Yeah. Exercise. And it's fun. You know, the good thing about it is they turn off all the lights. So if you decide to sit down on that seat, nobody really can see you. Do you have a Peloton? Uh, I gave Joe a Peloton for Christmas last year. Does he use it? Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. He's very athletic. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. Even though he has a lot of wisdom. <laughs> okay. Um, morning or evening routine? Are you a morning Morning, person? definitely morning. morning. I love okay. my morning. What time do you wake up? Early? I usually like, I don't know, 5.30, quarter yeah, early. Yeah, that's early. Um, best book or book you're reading recently? Oh, gosh, you know what I read that Becoming. I loved? Becoming. Becoming. Well, I haven't read that. <laughs> I mean, I, I have, I paged through it. I just got it, actually. But um, I read uh, Jess Mines Ward's Sing Unburied Sing. Oh, my God, that was so great. I love that book. Um, I'm also reading um, An American Marriage by uh, Tairi Jones. I just started that. I love that. I love it already, so I know I'm going to love it. Um, Joe was telling me I should read John Meacham's book, so I'm going to start that. I mean, I'm a, I love, love, love to read, but mostly right now I'm reading research papers, and I will soon be reading final exams, so... You know, reading is like a little treat for me. If mm-hmm. I can just read a chapter, I feel like, you know, I feel so guilty that I'm not grading, grading, grading. Right. And then last question. Last time you laughed really hard, and what were you laughing at? Oh, uh, God. Last time I, hmm, really hard. I don't know. Uh, I stumped you with that one. That wasn't in, that wasn't in our prep. Yeah. Do you know when I laugh really hard? At his expense, yeah, something at his expense. Yeah, probably that, yeah. So, anyway, I don't know. He keeps you laughing every day. He does, he does keep me laughing, mostly at him. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, he keeps me laughing. This has been such a a treat to have you here with us, and even cooler that you're you're a Philly, a Philly girl. I am definitely a Philly girl, yeah. Did you hear my accent? Like a lot of people say I have a Philly accent. I did not hear hear it. No, because you all have Philly accents. (laughs) (laughs) 
Let me hear you say broad, like Broad Street. You know, you have to do that broad. You know, yeah, yeah. That's how I usually like. Joe says, "What are you saying? Water? What? What do you say? Yeah, water, water. Yeah. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you. Thank you for for your leadership. Thank Thank you. you for sharing your stories with us today in a very authentic way, and we look forward to watching what's next for." I, 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 I want to get the title right again. Captain of Vi- Vice, of, Vice Team. Captain of the Vice Team. Yeah. Captain, you're welcome here anytime. And if, if you and the Vice President have any news to share, we'd be happy to break it here at SAP America. Thank you. Hey team, this is Jennifer Morgan. You've been listening to A Call to Lead. I hope you have really liked this podcast, but I want to hear from you because leadership is always about getting better. So you guys can give me your ratings, your reviews, and tell me what you like and how we can make it better for you and more useful. We'll make sure we do it. Who do you want to hear from? Tell us. And I hope to see you next time on A Call to Lead.